0: Congressman Mark Green joins Charlie Kuhn, Katie Gamble, and Chris Smith of ClarksvilleNow.com on this very special episode. The congressman shares stories from his recent trips to Ukraine, Poland, and Romania. He gives a look into the conflict there, what American troops are doing in the region, and what the city of Clarksville can do to support our soldiers who are working hard in this very volatile region of the world. All in this episode of Clarksville's Conversation.
1: You've been a busy man up there, haven't you?
0: Well, there's a lot going on in the world and, uh, you know, I'm on foreign affairs and, uh, home uh, and, uh, armed services committee. So I, I, I have a lot of responsibilities now that are, all of my responsibilities are pretty much national security related. Uh, so, you know, people ask, well, why do you have to, uh, kiss your wife goodbye and go eat airport food and shave in an airport (laughs) bathroom in order to, um, you know, travel all over the world, and I, I say I do that so that uh, the men and women that are at Fort Campbell don't have to kiss their wives goodbye and go fight wars. Uh, you know, our foreign policy is designed to to do that, to be diplomacy, to be um, strengthening alliances and and uh, deterring our enemies. And so, I, I my travel, I think, has has tremendous value, and my life experiences allow me to you know do that very well. Um, uh, the, even the Democrats, I. I got back from this most recent trip and had like five other Democrats who didn't go on the trip come up to me and say, "Holy cow, you really, you know, did that very well, and we really appreciate you." I'm kind of old school when it comes to foreign policy. Uh, Bipartisanship, our partisanship ends at the river's edge Mm -hmm. and are at the water's edge, the 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 ocean. And we, when we're overseas, we're Americans, and uh, so they really appreciated that, and it's helped me um Shape what we're doing, and I and I feel really really good about it. So,
1: so um, that was one of the things we were really interested in discussing. Was your most recent trip? So I don't even know where to begin with that because there's so many different layers to that trip.
0: Yeah. Well, the first one we made was to meet with Zelensky and uh, Kaliba, the foreign minister of, um, you know, Ukraine. I was in Kyiv the week before the invasion. It was eerie, you know, knowing what was coming. Uh, Zelensky was, uh, as you would anticipate, very animated. He's an actor, um, and he had lists of things he wanted from the U.S. Of course, uh, Kaliba was more concerned about their currency and, and things like that. This is the week before the invasion, so investment and currency issues were were of concern to him. Uh, we met with a defense minister, too, whom you've probably seen in some of the negotiations when they've sat down with Russia. That's their defense minister. He's, he's really a bright guy and gave us a list of things. And so we brought all that back, of course, stress the bipartisanship in Congress. Uh, I I would submit that, uh, the current issue in Ukraine, particularly, you know, what Putin has done has united Congress in a way that it hasn't been United since I've been there. In fact, the Democrats even pushed back on the president on the issue of purchasing Russian oil. And, um, Biden actually asked Nancy Pelosi to pull the bill and said that he would stop the purchases. But Pelosi said, uh-uh, sorry, we're doing it anyway. And and so it's it's really unique. Congress is more united than the Democrats in Congress and the, and the administration on this issue. So it's uh, it's a unique time uh, since I've been in Congress. The more recent trips were, you know, after the invasion, I went to Poland to look at the uh, refugee processing to meet with the 82nd Airborne Division and the 101st. The 101st has a brigade headquarters there doing a very specific mission, Um, incredibly admirably. uh, Kevin Sharp, the brigade commander, got to meet with him. And when I met with the 82nd Airborne Division guys, I got to meet the company commander who's commanding the company that I commanded when I was a rifle company commander in the 82nd. And that was really, really cool. Uh, and of course all the senior leaders at the 82nd were in special operations at the time when I was in special operations. So a lot of reunions there. I think my colleagues were a little bit, uh, put, put off by the fact that I was getting bear hugs from, from the sergeants major and, uh, you know, colonels. And, but, uh, yeah, it just it reflects the camaraderie of being mm-hmm. in the army and, uh, in my time there. So I, it, I think, uh, we had lots of good questions about rules of engagement. What happens when a Russian drone goes into Polish airspace and things like that? And bringing my military experience to the oversight piece of that was yeah. um, really huge. Uh, and the the division commanders and the military guys really appreciated that. And we did the same in Romania. We have a brigade, a striker brigade there. I also met with NATO forces there. The French battalion commander had a great conversation with him about not only Ukraine but China, um, and uh, and we we came back with a pretty constructive list. I called uh, Chief of Staff Mark Milley, gave him a list of what the troops needed there. There was some, just some support stuff that was missing. We went to the border there, uh, visited the UN Commission, of uh, High Commission for Refugees at the border in Romania and in, uh, in Moldova when we went into Moldova. But it was interesting because the Russian GRU was following us around and uh, so uh, some exciting times there in Moldova, but uh, great trips. We connected with allies. We strengthened our alliances. Uh, we 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 you know visited our troops deployed there. Um, it's just a really amazing time.
2: Well, I I want to ask you a quick question just about why it's so important for you to go there, for for our representatives to go there, but also for the United States to be represented in that region during this time? Why, why is that so important?
0: Well, you think back to last century, and America waited on both cases, till so it was way too late. And a hegemon in Europe uh, basically led us into World War One and World War II. And in both of those cases, when we ultimately got involved, it cost hundreds of thousands of American lives. We We don't want that again. We can't afford for a hegemon in Europe because it it basically always spills out into the world, um, and an authoritarian Vladimir Putin in Russia seizing a democratic country, even though it's not an, a true alliance or a member of NATO, is unacceptable. And then you know, we have NATO countries, uh, um, you know, Poland and Romania, that now have Russian troops massed, you know, on their borders, and so we have to send our troops there. And as a member of armed services, I'm there to make sure those troops are well cared for, got the equipment they need. And are doing the mission that that they're there to do. So um, it's oversight, it's uh, support of those troops, it's support of our allies, it's uh, making sure the refugee issue's taken care of. Um, you know, our NATO ally Poland and Romania are absorbing millions of people. Russia has absorbed four or five million people, and that you know obviously is a challenge to them. So making sure that that and hopefully keeping this from spilling over. That's the that's the real intent. And, and, and as I've said before, you know, people ask me, uh, you know, why do you kiss your wife goodbye and go shave in an airport uh, bathroom and eat airport food and and uh, do that? And it's so that the men and women at Fort Campbell don't have to kiss their wives uh, and and husbands goodbye and go fight a war. So that's the purpose of it. So how far do you think this this could go? I mean, w- Ukraine is not a NATO ally. Um, so far, they've been doing great, you know, um, holding the Russians off, um, which was kind of a surprise. Yeah. But, I mean, if um, Russia does um, sort of retake the um, the initiative and starts to really plow over the rest of the country, do you think NATO will stand by? I mean, how much can we really do to stop them, I like guess? Yeah, so... I... I think the there's a couple of lessons here. You know, uh, first and foremost, that the Russian bear doesn't have the teeth that we thought it did. It's it's really struggling to maneuver on the on at least beyond the Donbas region. So their ability to project power, uh, to do logistical support for that power, has been shown to be very weak. At the same time, I'll say this: our special forces guys were training the Ukrainians. So I. I told the big army guys at, at the Pentagon who are so focused on this uh, you know, great war competition with China that they better not cut the soft budget because the soft budget just proved itself to be worth every penny. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, guys at Fifth Group that uh, are fearful that their budget will be cut now as we're focused on China, I think that's foolish. So, uh, you know, that's a lesson learned from this. But in terms of stopping Putin, you know, the, the Ukrainians are empowered now. They, they believe they can get every Russian out of Ukraine. And so they're gonna fight until every Russian even, even is out of Crimea. And NATO is, is stepping up now. The German uh, defense minister, or maybe it was one of the, uh, the companies that make the Leopold tank, has offered 50 Leopold tanks. Uh, it looks like Czechoslovakia has given the S-300 missiles. Um, so they now have a very robust anti-aircraft capability. I think the Ukrainians are empowered, and this is good. this fight's going to last for a while. But the Ukrainians aren't quitting until Russia is completely out of Ukraine. It's a sovereign nation, and it's a it's a Western-style democracy. Now, it's a young democracy, and it has its issues. But they've made incredible strides. They had a free transfer of power uh, from one elected government to the other to to Zelensky. So. Um, supporting them as best we can with lethal aid, I think, is a is a no brainer.
1: So this might seem like a question, a silly question that a lot of people don't know. But you talk about going to Romania and Poland to support our troops mission. Like, What exactly is our troops mission right now on the ground there? Are they there to support refugees? Are they there just in case? I mean, what are what are we there preparing for?
0: So obviously to be prepared for an invasion. Mm-hmm. Uh, to prepare the Polish and the Romanians for a fight if it becomes necessary um, that's probably number one number two is there you know and I have to be a little bit careful there are some some other stuff going on that we can't really talk about but um, but but they're doing a very important mission for the security of the world and and especially our NATO allies remember this when I went to Iraq um, there were British soldiers that were wounded British SAS guys did a mission with our 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 tier one assets that that my unit, the 160th, was supporting and four Brits got wounded and I went in and rescued those Brits. One of them died, unfortunately. Corporal Plank um, died that day. But uh, those were our NATO allies who responded when we were attacked Uh, in Afghanistan. I worked with Poles. The Polish military was there from the very beginning. Even before they became a NATO ally, the Polish sent uh, their troops to fight with us in Afghanistan and Iraq. So uh, it's just the right thing to do. Article five uh, of the NATO charter is specific. And so we have a, a, a treaty. And remember, American treaties, if you read the Constitution, they become the law of the land. So when the United States makes a treaty with another country, it becomes the law of the United States. So, uh, and, and that's a very interesting way our founders worded that in the Constitution. That treaty matters, and so we have a, a an obligation to those allies.
1: Interesting.
2: You know, I, I I I see Mark. I you know I see you and and your history with the military, and I know you're a you're a history buff, and you read and and you make sure you know what your surroundings are. I just. Can't help but feel that your military experience has been a huge help with your success in Congress.
0: Well, I think like a military guy who became a physician, right? So, <laughs> I, and and I, you know, I ran a business when I ran my healthcare company. My my business plan was a five-paragraph operations order, you know, with uh, the various paragraphs of, of a military operations order rewritten and recast as a business plan and uh, so those are that's the paradigm that has been sort of trained into my head and then you think of the physician thought process a scientific method of uh, identifying the problem gathering the data and building a plan to take care of that that issue both of those models have really been very helpful to me in mm-hmm. my political career and and um, and that means gathering information even though I'm an ER physician and and I had to train to make decisions in split seconds with with minimal information, you know, I still am wedded to this fact that we've got to know what's going on. You look at China and Taiwan. I mean, I've been reading China books and China history books now for probably five years. And uh, I'm on the China task force. It's writing the legislation for the next Congress to deal with the issues we have with China. And it all flows from that love of history and the understanding that you have to have the data the 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 facts in order to make good decisions, particularly as it re- relates to diplomacy. Yeah. So, so how uh, you mentioned Crimea earlier. Do you think Ukraine will try to push Russia out of Crimea next? Uh, uh, I was they're kind of question really that was a settled thing. Yeah, they're not gonna stop fighting until Russia's off Ukrainian soil. So success is a different question. Um, But the Ukrainians are committed to this and they think now with the success they've had stopping the maneuver of Russia, that they can do it. We give them the right equipment and they have a pretty, pretty large population and they've uh, roughly, um, you know, conscripted everybody 17 and above, you know, 17 to 65. I forget the exact range, but every uh, Ukrainian male is expected to fight in this war.
1: So when you when you went over there to Poland and um, I forgot where you said Romania, how many people went in your delegation? How long were you all
0: there? So it was a bipartisan delegation. It was led by obviously the House's, uh, you know, the Democrats are in the majority. So Stephen Lynch, who heads the National Security Oversight Committee, um, he and I had done the K-2 legislation together. Remember, I I came up with this idea. We got to help the guys that are getting cancer out of K-2. And I had a good relationship with him. So I went to Stephen and I said, hey, will you do this for me? And we we did two or three bills together that became amendments to the National Defense Authorization Act. Um, And Stephen and I developed a relationship. So he actually reached out to me on this trip and said, I really want you to go and be the lead Republican. And I, um, you know, I had just been the lead Republican on a foreign affairs trip to Kiev and and you know, again, earned some uh, respect from those guys. So we we wound up making the trip with myself. The other Republicans were Pat Fallon out of Texas and Jake LaTurner out of Kansas. The Democrats were Stephen Lynch, Sherry Penigree out of Maine and uh, Lori Trahan out of Massachusetts.
1: So when you guys went over there and you visited with the troops, what were some of what was something that you learned that surprised you or that you didn't know about, or was there any moments where you were like, wow, just, just wow.
0: Yeah, no, the wow part was <laughs> that there are no refugee camps. Oh, wow. you know, if you go to the Middle East and you look at the mass migration that happens because of war there, they, they wind up in refugee camps, sometimes 10, 20, 30,000 people in a camp in Poland, the Polish people are taking and Romania, they're taking them into their homes.
1: Oh, interesting. So they're
0: imagine 4 million people in a forty-five million uh, population country being absorbed into the homes. Now it's mostly women and children, but they're, they're basically housing them in their homes. Um, the processing centers are, are seamless, uh, well-oiled machines. They show up at train stations, they get processed and then they're moved into someone's home. It's, it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, as far as the troops go, they're like, why can't we do more? Um, hmm. they're like, people are dying. Children, hmm dying why is the america why is america not doing more and we're like well uh there's this thing called a little red button that putin has that launches nuclear weapons so, so no we're not going to have you shoot down mm-hmm. russian planes or but they're they're chomping at the bit uh you know these are warriors who have trained for this mission and they mm-hmm. um, you know they they want to do it so but but uh, of course we're you know constraining them in that regard um and there were some little things like, uh, you know, the, the, the units at, in Romania didn't have enough washing machines. So guys were staying mm-hmm. up till three or four in the morning, do their laundry. They didn't have a big enough gym. So they're getting up at three in the morning to go work out. Uh, and I was able to call, uh, you know, Mark Milley and say, hey, man, you, you need some more washing machines and some more gym space in the Ukrainian uh, deployment area.
1: So are, are just average citizens just going and volunteering, saying, hey, yeah. when these refugees come over, we volunteer, you can stay at our house?
0: Yes, that, that's oh, happening. Yeah. And, and American citizens are going over there and being a part of that. There are many not-for-profits that are set up inside these uh, Polish sites that are giving clothing away, that are giving wow. you know, food, uh, World Kitchen. And uh, there was a famous chef there. I think his name was Mark Murphy or Matt Murphy, something like that from the uh, Food Network was there. And uh, we got to meet with him and and meet with the staff that was preparing thousands of meals a day, tens of thousands of meals a day. So all of these are not-for-profits from the U.S., based some based in the U.S., some based internationally, doing great things. Um, there are also Americans that are volunteering. They connected the Ukrainian embassy, and they're going into Ukraine and fighting. So uh, uh, America is decisively engaged in this.
2: You know, you you uh, represent one of the most patriotic districts in the, the United States, yeah. Okay, I'll give you that, the most. And I, I think what we do well in our, our region is we support the families of the soldiers when they're deployed. And I know you've been deployed, you've done all that. How do, How can our communities help those families while their loved ones are overseas?
0: I will just tell you that the people of Clarksville should know that their are men and women who are deployed right now. They're, you know, the First Brigade headquarters are just doing fantastic work. Um, and those men and women, they don't have anything to worry about when they're deployed. They know Clarksville's got their back. Uh, and that's how we felt. I mean, that's why Cammie and I honestly decided to stay in Clarksville. Um, you know, you're in the checkout line at Publix and the kid behind you might be the next Medal of Honor winner. Yeah. The And when we came here, I mean, the outpouring of support when I deployed was unprecedented. We had never seen anything like that. So I would just say keep being Clarksville. Um, you know, the, the, I talked to uh, Joe Pitts this morning about stuff they're putting together to support not only troops, but law enforcement and first responders. It's just it's just unbelievable how this community steps up to the plate to support mm-hmm. these yeah. um, who are defending our freedoms.
1: It's pretty amazing when you're over here and I'm in my comfortable office right now and it's raining outside to just think there's this whole other world where everything is just chaotic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You look at what's going on in like a city like Maripol where tens over 10,000 civilians have been killed in just mass bombing of that city. Um, War crimes clearly, very clearly war crimes committed. Uh, it's it's really tragic, and we met with some young girls, 17, 18, 19, uh, that were in the at the Romanian crossing site. Actually, I'm sorry, it was in Moldova, and they had been they had fled Odessa. They left their family, the male members of their family there, fled Odessa, came to Odessa, and instead of going into a home, decided to stay there, and work in the in the processing center for the. Um, UNHCR, our you know, High Council of Refugees, HCR. and <clears throat> they're, you know, 17 years old and volunteering to, to serve their own folks that are, I mean, it's just amazing stories. One of them lost a brother already in the fight, um, you know, a little bit shell-shocked, but serving, and uh, it just uh, rips your heart out, you know, to hear those stories.
1: I know that you probably can't answer this question when I ask this question, because nobody can. But what do you predict is going to be the outcome? And how long do you think that Russia is going to be there? How long do you think this is going to take?
0: Yeah, that's on everybody's mind right now. And there's nothing but predictions. Mm -hmm. So that's all I'm giving you now. But I think it's going to be a long fight. Um, I I anticipate that the Ukrainians will be engaged for, I mean, this may be more than a year, a few years of constantly fighting the Russians. What we've got to do in the West is stay committed to keep the sanctions on to really the one thing Joe Biden hasn't done is crank up our energy sector so that we can supply the energy to Europe. We can do the liquefied natural gas and meet their their energy needs. We just need cargo ships and we need to turn our pipelines on. And everybody talks about the Keystone pipeline, but the Keystone pipeline wasn't finished and would take years to finish it's the other pipelines that he's decreased the flow through. I mean, Biden has has even attacked the capital, uh, you know, the, the banks that are loaning. It's the same thing they did with the guns. They're attacking the through the SEC, attacking the banks that loan to energy companies. They need that capital to go finance the well tapping and things like that. So Um, It's a real concerted attack on U.S. energy, and it's wrong. I I listened to uh, Harold Ford the other day on Fox News. He's a Democrat, and he was saying, this is really unacceptable. We need to turn on our energy sector because our energy sector, interestingly enough, is about 40, 50 percent cleaner than the rest of the world. So if we're concerned about the planet, uh, and as I recall, Venezuela and Iran and these other places are all on planet Earth. So if we get the oil from them, it's still being consumed. (laughs) Uh, only it's being produced in a much less economic or less environmentally friendly way. So, it, you know, it, it boggles the mind that he had to be told by the Democrats in Congress to stop buying oil from Russia. But that's, you know, our issue with the president. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that would be a huge help. Uh, there are lots of other things we could do.
1: Well, thank you for joining us today. Is there yeah. anything that we can do for you? And is there any last messages you want to leave or anything you want to share with us?
0: Cause uh, I agree know,
1: I, with you on all the energy stuff.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I think we just have to keep putting pressure on the administration on that issue uh, mm-hmm. and then just keep supporting the, the folks that are, that are, are fighting for the right things. Uh, and of course, Sparksville, just thank you for what you do for soldiers uh, for the 101st, the fifth special forces group and the 160th. these guys are all engaged uh, in this and, and in security issues all around the world. Um, and just keep loving, just keep being Clarksville because, uh, this is a pretty special place. Uh, you know, I did 24 combined years. If you add all my, my time wearing a uniform and carrying an ID card, um, and never in our experience to include three years in Texas, which is also a pretty positive and patriotic state, but it just can't compete with Clarksville. Uh, So just keep being Clarksville and supporting the truth. Subscribe to Clarksville's Conversation wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on a single conversation.